0: Welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. We're going to read together from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Paul is in prison in Rome. He knows he's facing death. Remember the great fires of Rome from history? It's about a decade later. Nero is killing all the Christians. They're blaming all the Christians. Paul knows he's going to die. This is one of the most profound books to understand the the, the nature of what you need for life. In fact, I would suggest, uh, talk to Doug Chapman if your class is not yet gone through the study called Everything You Need to Know because it's filled with stuff out of 2 Timothy. Richard, I think your class went through it as well. It's beautiful stuff. Magnificent. It's in the fourth chapter where Paul has that great phrase, right? I fought the good fight. I finished the course of the faith. Course of the faith. It's also where he says, be careful, Timothy. People eventually are going to drift and wander, and they're only going to listen to things that will tickle their ears. Boy, timeless truth. And here's what he's saying to Timothy. Timothy's the one going to carry things on. Verse 14 picks up. He says, look, Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing those from whom you have learned that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. And let's read verse 17 all together. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, may your spirit stand between me and your people, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be shaped into your words for your people in this, your day. And God, we commit to you our lives that as we offer this prayer to the Spirit of Christ, as we learn of your word is in the Spirit of Christ, as we leave this place to serve the world, it is in the Spirit of Christ. And all of God's people did say, Amen. 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 I've got a lot of Bibles. i brought some of them this morning. In fact, as I was rolling these down on the cart this morning, someone who was getting here for early church a bit early said, oh my, what are you doing in church today? (laughs) This is going to be a long sermon. (laughs) We want to talk today about Scripture, the Bible, uh, the Word of God. And I want to unpack some of the things that Can be sort of misnomers. Have you ever heard anybody say the reason I'm a Methodist is I joined the Methodist church because they say if you're a Methodist, you can believe whatever you want to. (laughs) This is not true. That's called Unitarianism. Right? And there's nothing wrong with the Unitarianism, but that's just where it is. I want to approach this today not to try to think that the Bible needs to be fended, defended. But I, want to, I just want to make a case. I want to appeal to you. And the bedrock of the appeal is this. What do you build your life on? What's the paradigm, the philosophy, the ideology, the grounding, the lens? What do you build your life on and how do you know it's truth? That's the question. Now, there's either going to be an external truth or everything's going to be about you. And one of the things that is the greatest lures in the comforts and freedoms that we have here in the United States is we think it's all about us. So much so that now you can even check out your own items at Walmart or HEB without any help, right? And so part of the challenge just with the paradigm we're talking about, is is there a truth that is transcendent that's beyond you? And this is the bedrock of what we believe. In Methodist faith, we have what's called the doctrines of the church. They're found in the book of Discipline. And in those doctrines are articles of religion, and two of our articles of religion of the 25 say clearly that the Scripture is inspired by God. We believe it to be the Word of God, and everything necessary for salvation is here. In the words of the Old and New Testament, it states clearly the 66 chapters, the 66 books within the Old and New Testament. Now, I'm going to not try to nerd out too much in the sense of the historical aspect of what we have, but I do want to just deal very directly with this concept. We believe that Scripture is God-breathed, that it is the Word of God. This is not myth. This is not fabrication. This is not sort of just made-up stuff from old white guys that hung around for years. This is the truth of God. Now... This is a place where as a United Methodist, I am a Methodist because I was born a Methodist, but I've chosen to be a Methodist because we hold in tension this aspect that we come to the faith and love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we don't check our brains at the door, we bring our brains into worship, we bring our intellect into worship, and so when we find all that's here, there is an important distinction to make. The United Methodist Church does not subscribe to what is known as literal inerrancy. Literal inerrancy is about the literary construct that says this is a perfect book and there's no contradictions anywhere. If you're in that vein, that's not good or bad, you have personal convictions, okay? Churches have doctrines. People have convictions. Look, there is no place that everybody's personal conviction absolutely lines up with the doctrinal teaching of the church. I mean, Baptists still drink beer and Catholics still practice birth control. And those are two rather fundamental and general broad brushes. Methodism is a place where people who have wanted to stretch in intellectual thinking are not ostracized or alienated because they engage in rigorous thought. But one of the downsides of that is we we don't always, when we explore ideologies, we don't teach them and say, ah, this is it. For example, Marcus Borg would teach that Jesus was not really the Son of God. He was just a highly intellectual, self-actualized Jew. And it wasn't until the Council of Nicaea that Jesus was actually deified as the Son of God. That's not what, the, the, what our church believes. Now, it doesn't mean that, oh, no, we've got to burn the book, we've got to burn... No, you, you still talk about Marcus Borg, it doesn't bother me a bit. But we want to say, where do you ground your truth? And so we ground our truth, not that there is a literal inerrancy, because there's some struggles in the text... For example, in John, Jesus cleanses the temple at the end of his ministry, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he cleanses it at the beginning of his ministry. Which is it? Well, it could be both, I know. But we do believe this. Without wavering, we believe that this message... The message this carries is an infallible truth. It is not myth that God created us. It is truth. It is not myth or story that we are creating God's image and sin is what blocks that. That is truth. It is truth that Christ came. It is truth that God pursues us. This is truth, not just a story. And that message has no error whatsoever. Early in the life of church, it was called bibliolatry when you couldn't even touch it. And the pages of history are filled with how hurtful Christians were to others. Have you ever heard of a guy named William Tyndale? Sometimes on the back of your Bible, his actually, his hands were cut, his body was burned because he dared to translate into English the scriptures. We in the church can sometimes do horrible things to each other. What we believe is this, this is God's word, it has endured. How does this stack up just as a historical reference? There are over 20,000 fragments and pieces of manuscripts and whole manuscripts that support what is in the Bible that is in front of you. You've got the RSV translation in the pew back. I've got the NIV translation that's here. Over 20,000. And if that's not enough, 98% of those fragments are in agreement with what's in here. And the 2% has to deal with, in the Hebrew, where you would put the dot that would make a consonant in between consonants to make the vowels. Very minor differences. 2% of the over 20,000 don't exactly line up. Time has proven that the truth is in these pages. These are all different translations, everything from the Jerusalem Bible, the Archaeology Bible, some of the youth Bibles, NIV, the Voice, the Serendipity, the Soul Care Bible. Um, this one is the, um, the Chronological Bible, which is really fascinating because when you see your Bible, it's important to remember that it doesn't actually fall in chronological order, and so the Chronological Bible actually puts in chronological order. I've got King James, I've got other translations I read from one of my favorite. I went through men's fraternity and led men's fraternity for several years. This is what I call my traveling Bible. As long as I had glasses, I could read it. (laughs) And even if I didn't have glasses, I've learned this trick. Did you know that your phone can become a magnifying glass? I can see those smiling. You've learned that trick too, haven't you? This is what's called my NIV study Bible. If you're going to get a Bible and you want to take it seriously, I commend to you the NIV study Bible. Now, this is the NIV study Bible for eyes 12 years and younger, right? This this is very, very small. But what a study Bible does is it gives you information and tells you exactly what's going on. So when um, the United Methodist Church was very active in years past, in what's known as Disciple Bible Study. Y'all remember that? Disciple Bible Study. My sister was excited about it. And, and I said, well, you need to study Bible and whatnot. And I remembered, she's my oldest sister. And, and my older sisters were mean to me growing up. Do you remember the Johnny jump-up that would clamp in the door? I'm sorry, Kelly, you won't because you're too young. The Johnny jump-up, long before there was ocean, you couldn't do this to kids, would clamp on the door frame and have a spring, right? And the baby would bounce around. I was the youngest. They would go by and grab the back of the seat and pull it as far as they could to let go and just let me bounce all around. My, my mid-sister, my older sister Peggy says, well, he seemed to like it. I mean, what the, didn't know what was going on, right? So always look for opportunities for payback, always. And so my sister's going through Disciple Bible Study, and so um, I get a little twinge of, (laughs) I'm going to pull one over on her. Matthew has 28 chapters. Now, did you actually know that we didn't have the actual chapters and verses in the Bible you have for 685 years? It took 685 years. The text was recorded and circulated, but it, wasn't, it was actually Athanasius in the late 300s that pulled together the 27 books of the New Testament. It's not as if Jesus was resurrected and said, Hey guys, I ordered something from Amazon. It's going to be a cart out front tomorrow because I got Prime and I'm the Son of God, right? You want to circulate that book. It didn't happen that way. The church was persecuted. It took years. So for 600 years, they didn't have the actual chapter and verse. Now, if you really wanna nerd out with me, come up someday to my office and I will show you a collection of books from my grandfather's library called the Antinician Fathers. It's a volume of about 13 stretches this far. Antinician, the Council of Nicaea occurred in the mid 300s. What we know is that we already had circulated writings and even though we didn't have chapter and verse, A group of editors over 100 years ago went through all of the information that had circulated in manuscripts, read it carefully, and then did a cross-reference to where that phrase shows up in our current book, chapter, and verse, before it was codified and canonized with chapter and verse. And it tells us this. It guided the early church. These words and the letters of Paul and the Gospels guided the early church. So back to Matthew, it's 28 verses, uh, 28 chapters, and my thinking, you know, my sister's saying, hey, what Bible should I get? So I said, what? The United States Study Bible. It's the best one. But then I said, but Janie, you need to be sure that you get the Bible that has Matthew chapter 29 in it. Don't ask anybody about it. Just look. They went... She and Sherry Brockway, her friend, went to seven different bookstores. And finally, and it couldn't have been any better, God was in the midst of this ploy of mine. They were at the Baptist bookstore, where a very helpful attendant came up and said, Ma'am, can I help you? I know you're looking through, is there a particular translation you're looking for? And She said, No, just my, my brother said that I need to make sure I get the Bible that has Matthew chapter 29 in it. And the the salesperson said, oh, honey, Matthew only has 28 verses. I got a phone call from the Baptist bookstore in Plano, Texas. One of my best jokes on my sister. Sometimes people will tease and they'll say, what's your favorite book of the Bible? I'll say Philemon chapter 2. Philemon has one chapter. What about the Old Testament? Obadiah chapter 2. Obadiah has one chapter, right? It's knowing what the words are. But if you have really struggled through some of the things you read in the Bible or hear about it? I promise you, you can pull something out of here that will make your skin curl. And if you're a skeptic, let me just speak to you. If you're a skeptic, that's cool. That's fine. I don't need you to believe the Bible. The Bible's going to be the Bible whether you believe it or not. And if you need to work through that and you need someone who will really kind of dance with you intellectually and will, will stick with you in that, let me commend to you a recent book by Eric Huffman called The Skeptic and the Scriptures. Now look, he is very earthy. Halfway through the book, you're going to go, I cannot believe you recommended this book to me, Pastor Berg. But if you're a skeptic, if you're already a believer, you don't necessarily need to pick it up unless you want to see how apologetics work and how someone says, how could the Bible say that? But if you're a skeptic and you're going, well, I need a little more information before I can believe, let me commend that book to you. But also let me commend to you one of the ancient words of the church fathers that said, your faith seeks understanding. You will not be able to get completely into the deep waters of faith if you only start with your human intellect. Your human intellect is brought to figure out what's going on in the text, what's happening. And how often do I say this? What is the context of the text? And listen to the text. And that's what we delve into the text itself, and it speaks. And what is the end goal of Scripture? The end goal of Scripture is that we all might grow in righteousness and be equipped for every good work that God has. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the Word. Scripture, it is the Word of God. Now, it's not, all in Scripture is not meant to be a repeatable commandment. This beautiful narrative that we had is filled with law and history and poetry and wisdom and prophecy, gospels, letters, the book of Acts, and apocalyptic literature. It's filled with all types of different literature. And it is important to remember that as the gospels are being recorded... And as the letters of Paul are being written, and as both Daniel and Revelation are apocalyptic, as John is on the Isle of Patmos writing the book of Revelation, inspired by God, the church, the Christian church, is still an oppressed gathering of people, and there is no prevailing type of narrative or literary structure. So, most everything we pick up in the New Testament, we look back to what was. The Jewish practice of recording and writing, because when we do that, we begin to see the lens that influenced the writers. But you can't look at some of the things that happened in the record of the conquest and think that God now approves that you do certain things. That's history, it's history being recorded. Oftentimes, you get into the Psalms, and, and one of the things that persons who want to suggest that the Bible is not the Word of God, but it is more of a suggestion, well, what they do is they say, wait, are you really supposed to bash babies' heads against the rocks? There's a Psalm that talks about what the people are feeling as they have been taken into captivity, and it's an expression of Resentment. Oh, God, that you would take our captors' children and dash their heads upon the rocks. That's not a commandment from God. What that is, is a psalmist writing, what does it feel like to be a conquered people, to have your temple torn down, lose all of your possessions, be drug hundreds of miles away from home, not be able to practice your faith, to be oppressed? And so there's this welling up feeling, God, would you do this? Do this to our enemies. God, surely you've felt that before, right? You've been hurt. You've been wounded. So we don't take every single text as a repeatable command. But here's some fascinating things to think about. Even across the breadth of all that we discuss in the life of the church, and what I'll just simply say, is across the spectrum from the left and the right, from the progressive to the conservative, from the liberal to the traditional, whatever you want to say, across the spectrum, we all sort of meet in that place going, yeah, we should love our neighbor. Everybody agree? Yeah. And those general ones, but, but then we kind of come up against things, and the divide within the United Methodist Church is, a sense of understanding how much space is there in that conversation, right? How much space and latitude is given for teaching and how much rub against the doctoral teaching of the church with our intellect is acceptable. Now, we can always talk about these things, but you can't abandon the faith. You'll have your convictions The church has its doctrines, and there's a debate in the Methodist church right now that's basically in the sense of what are its doctrines and what will its teachings be. We look to Scripture as well so that it can guide our lives. We memorize Scripture so that we can have it uh, available to us. I remember in college hearing a phrase that I've never forgotten, and since it came in college you'll understand in a minute, especially if you went to someplace like LSU. They said, if you're really going to be able to be connected to God and love Christ, you better have some Jesus on tap. And then they went to flesh out the idea in a college Bible study that we can go and we know and can access the tap of the keg quicker than can we access a tap to the scripture. That imagery is never forgotten. And now you probably won't forget it either, right? another way of thinking about this is you know we need to stop Facebooking so much and get our face in the book a bit more and just a challenge is do you spend as much time reading scripture as you do on Instagram snap what is snap shot snap yeah you know what it is I do too Facebook we these are all sources of information right and what we're doing is we're moving through life and we want to gather information. We want to keep up to speed. Well, if our faith is going to be grounded, then probably what we need to do is spend time in the Scripture. So what you can do is, if, if maybe you're not a book person, I'm still a book person. I'm, trying, I'm learning to be a Kindle kind of person. I've got the mini iPad and I've kind of read some stuff. But I still, I'm just old school, right? Probably because, Matt, we saw Amy Grant in 1983 to 84. That's three. And I love to have books, but maybe you're just an app person. There's a great app called um, Bible Gateway. It's an app. You can search things now. Uh, I can show you two large books called a Concordance, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. It weighs 17 pounds because it has listed every word in the Bible and list it alpha so you can find it. So if you want to see where's the word bread in the Bible, you go to the B's and it lists every word of. You can now search that on your phone, right? It's amazing so the, so the Bible's available to you. It's electronic. You read it off the off the pages. One downside of having everything just provided for us with the bible in the pew back and on the screen is that we don't often bring our bibles with us and i would love to see more people actually bring their bible with them to church where it's opened up where you can engage the scriptures when you look for your bible you're going to look at the back of it you're going to see translation or version all right it's all the same text but you'll see a version a translation or a version is how it's been translated. So in your pew back, if you were to pick up that little red Bible, it'll say Revised Standard Version, RSV. This happens to be the NIV. There's also the King James. And a lot of people say, I read the real Bible. The what? <laughs> King James Bible. Yeah, well... I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll see the King James in 1600s and I'll raise you with Jerome's Vulgate in the Latin in the years 400, right? So it, it just happens that King James, and it actually wasn't the first time that the Bible was translated all into English. That was actually John Wycliffe in 1380s. Now, you're going to find a translation. I recommend the NIV. NLT is not bad. CEV is not bad. You can go all the way over to what's known The Message which is sort of a paraphrase. Be cautious that your primary reading isn't the paraphrasing because you lose important details. So if you had to say, what Bible should I get, preacher? What you need to go get is get a Bible that has Matthew chapter 29 in it, right? <laughs> get an NIV study Bible. And it will have information at the bottom with the notes. It will have information at the front that tells you what's going on. And so the living, then the Word of God becomes living and guides you. Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden thy word in my heart, O God, that I might not sin against thee. You see, one of the biggest ways that we fail to follow God is we just don't simply read the scriptures and know what God wants of us. In this text, as Paul's writing from prison, he's saying, Look, Timothy, I'm, I'm, a, I'm about literally to lose my head for the faith. He's going to be crucified, he's going to be killed. Nero's going to put him to death and tell everybody, look, I have conquered Christianity, and I wish we could go back in time and say, Paul, Paul, brother Paul, don't worry, okay? I know that things look bad. You've encouraged everybody. I want you to know that there's going to come a time when people are going to name their children Paul and their churches Paul and their dogs Nero. It's just going to take a few years. But it's endured through all the ages. Now, i want to nerd out with you for a minute. When you get your Bible and you get your study Bible and you look, you're going to find references and spend some time looking at the front of your Bible and it will tell you the different texts that have been found. For example, have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? The Dead Sea Scrolls found in the late 1940s as a little Bedouin shepherd threw a rock into a cave. You ever wonder why he threw the rock in the cave? He wasn't just being a teenager, okay? bedouin shepherds feared holes in the ground because there was still the tradition that the hole was the cave was the entryway to the under earth to hell and so they didn't ever want to go in so the bedouin shepherd i mean just going in they found and what they found was the dead sea scrolls in the area of Qumram, before there were xerox copiers every single text would be recorded by hand and there's a group of people known the essenes or the fathers of the light and sons of the light, and their only job was to translate and write down the scriptures. But if they ever made a mistake, and they were 90% through, if they made a mistake, they didn't have an eraser. Now, what do you do when you've got 90% of this Old Testament text translated and it is revered to be the Word of God? You roll it up, you say a prayer, you wash your hands, and you store it in a place of honor. So the Dead Sea Scrolls are actually a lot of collections where there was a minor error and they had to start back at Genesis. And when you unearth all that and you see all the stuff that's there, it proves that what we have, what we have is what you have. It's endured 3,000 years. It is truth. Now, I want to wrap up today telling you that... um, This isn't necessarily about the Bible, but um, I was listening uh, to a podcast. I listened to several different folks in podcasts, especially in this era when we're trying to figure out what church looks like. And if you need to know more about anything about artificial intelligence or any of that kind of stuff, I've got a friend who's here this morning. I haven't asked permission to name him by name, but if you will hang out by me, my friend that knows artificial intelligence and you know who I'm talking about, hang out by me by the front door. I'll let you ask any question to him. Uh, His initials are Jed. Jed. He's he's, he's brilliant, brilliant, and I love talking with him about how artificial intelligence works, but I was on a podcast the other day, um, and we haven't had a chance to play golf or talk about this, so we need to do both. Um, This is the next wave of future saying, how is technology going to affect or change the church? And here is their proposition. Their proposition is that actually you're going to start having an Oculus headset or glasses. And what it's going to do is it's going to augment reality. As opposed to a virtual reality, it's going to be an augmented reality. And what's going to happen is, as a pastor, I'm going to wear these glasses. And through all the technology and all the camera angles, you'll be sitting at home watching. And it's actually going to be like you're right with me. Now, I don't know if you need the headset at home and all this stuff. But I don't know who would buy a headset to watch church when you can just show up or watch it on your screen. right? But it's fascinating to hear this. Here's what struck me. What they say is this is about metaverse information, information and all the virtual realities, augmented realities, and this is what it says, to allow you to enter into the experience. That's what this is supposed to be about. To help you get into the experience, right? Not just to watch it on a GoPro or a video or something like that, but it's supposed to help you get into the experience, to help you enter into the reality of the context that is being shared. To help you enter into the reality in the context of what is being shared And what struck me was, isn't that what this book is about? Allowing you to enter into the reality of what is being shared. You were formed by the God who cast the heavens and the stars in the sky. Each one of you is thoughtfully, fearfully, and wonderfully made, and God doesn't make junk. And God has always been pursuing you in a relationship with you. And even when we wandered and didn't listen to God and lived perpetually as a 14-year-old rebellious teenager doing our own thing, God's love never failed for us. Prophets of old tried to bring the people back and for a time period they would listen and then they would not. And when all else failed, God said, I will enter into the humanity that I have created. He bore the sin that separated us from him he for three years journeyed with a group of fishermen. He opened blind eyes. He empowered people to be healed. He died for the sins of the world. He rose again on the third day. And he lives forever. This is the story. This is the reality we believe. Now, I will close by saying this. If if all this stuff we're talking about with church and Bible and letting the scriptures form our lives, let's say, let's say I'm wrong. Okay. I'm good. Let's say I'm wrong that that I'm really just following this group of held over teachings that somehow endured for thousands of years and guided. Somehow it's it's happened, right? The most published book in the world. All right. All right. I'm wrong. I'll, I'll take that. I'm wrong. Right. If I'm wrong, and we do all that this says, and then you just die and that's it. And you're, you know, and the old dust in the wind. You're, it's it. You're dead. It's over. What do you lose? Nothing. But, but, but what if I'm right? What if this is right? What if the scriptures are right And you choose to say, "Nah, that's just a bunch of myths and stories from a group of old white men who wanted to control people and everything else and suppress women and be oppressive. If that's the track you take, what if you're, what if if that's wrong? And you die. What do you lose? A lot. (laughs) A lot. When we listen to the scriptures, what kind of world would it be if we lived the love that he said, if we shed the blood that he shed, if we let our lives be reflective of the life of Christ, where when we saw someone in need, we helped them. When we saw somebody who was hungry, we fed them. When we loved everybody else as much as we loved ourselves. In the words of the song that most all of you know, And finish the phrase with me, what a wonderful world it would be. Friends, we believe that this scripture is the word of God. It is the truth of God. It describes reality of God's love and our world and what separates us from God without error. Invite you into a deeper study. Because in the final analysis, every one of you is going to find some lens or some paradigm or some philosophy from which to live life. It's a fact. We all do. I just contend there is no better way to live than to live by the Scripture that introduces you into the love of Christ. I'd be happy any time you want to sit down together. If you come and sit and we want to talk, I'm not going to berate you. I'm I'm not going to look at you and go, I cannot believe you just said that in the church. You can't say that. Let's talk. Bring the questions I'd love to do that. I'd love to sit and visit with you. And I know that Clint would and Jeremy would and Stacy would and Jim Welch would and Matt would. We love to engage our mind and our heart around this truth of who God is and who we are. Let's pray together. God, would you help us to acknowledge all the ways you're reaching to relationship with us? Would you help us to accept all the words of Scripture that challenge us? Because so many times we need to hear what it says. It makes us uncomfortable. We need to hear words of hope when we're hurting. We need to hear your word of instruction when we're looking for guidance. We need to hear your words of justice when the world seems so wrong. We need to hear that we are not alone. And so we give you thanks that these truths that are transcendent, that are bigger than us, are held in the Scriptures. Help us in this community of faith to engage in conversation, to listen with discerning hearts, and to let our lives be formed by your Holy Spirit. Through this we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people to say, Amen. Amen.